well, after that event, he was over in Israel visiting. He was being given a tour by an Israeli archaeologist. They walked around and they were coming up to the Temple Mount area. And Neil Armstrong asked the archaeologist, he said, so did Jesus actually walk here in, in this area? He said, yes, he did. He said, in fact, those right over there are the steps that go up to the Temple Mount. He said, so you mean to tell me that he actually walked up those steps? Yeah, are those the original steps, Neil asked? He said, yeah, those are the original steps that Jesus walked on. And then he said this, and I thought it was just very telling, and I quote, Neil said to his guide, I have to tell you, I am more excited about stepping on these stones than I was about stepping on the moon. There is nothing more exciting. If you can grasp of all of it, if God reveals it to you, there is nothing more exciting than the works of Christ and what he has done and the implications of that in our lives. And we're not talking here this morning about some dogma, just some teachings that you're going to follow in your life. We're not talking about some lifestyle that somebody's asking you to live. We're not, we're not talking about coming together with a community of people that you really like and that like you. That's not what this is about. This is about the celebration of a, and the proclamation that we serve a risen Savior. We don't just follow teachings or live a lifestyle and hope that someday God will approve of that. We serve, we are in relationship, we, we know a, a risen Savior that we are one day, with whom you will one day have a face-to-face -face encounter. We're talking about a real man who walked on a real earth, who spoke real words and ate real food who died on a real cross and was put in a real tomb and was raised in real time just over 2,000 years ago. We're talking about a, someone who appeared to 500, over 500 real people and who has transformed thousands upon hundreds of thousands of real lives, many of which are sitting in this room today. We are gathered here to celebrate the greatest moment of all time, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, we are going to, I'm going to take us, we're going to walk through a text, and I'm going to, I'm going to cover quite a few verses, but we're just going to focus in on a few of these. But I want us to walk through what I think is the, one of the most encouraging and one of the most insightful passages in all the New Testament. And so we're going to walk through in these, this next half hour, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we are going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Not Some of these verses will be up on the wall. And we're going to walk through this. This is kind of like a forest this morning. And so I don't want us to get lost in the trees. There's a lot of stuff here. We're going to skip over a lot of it. But I want to hit the main points because these are powerful, powerful truths. So here we go. 
I'm going to read, there's five sections here, I'm going to read this morning, and I'll read one, and then we'll come back and we'll just pick a couple verses that highlight what that section is trying to tell us this morning. So here we go, chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And here it is. But what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to me also as one abnormally born. So here's, a vo- here's what I want us to focus on in this, these first, this first section here. And this is at verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on you of first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. That is the gospel. That is the truth that Paul said, this is what saved you. Now, if you understand the gospel, you might ask, saved me from what? The Bible says that all of us, Ephesians 2, verse 1, all of us are dead in our transgressions and sins. All of us are in need to be rescued. We need to be born. And it's through belief and trust in this gospel that Christ came, that he died, and then he rose again. Those who believe and trust in that are saved. Those who do not are not saved. And so, in this world today, there are people who are saved because they have believed this word, and there are those that do not. I think it's very important to understand that the gospel is not just that Christ died for your sin to forgive you. The gospel is also that he rose again. That's the gospel. We have this candle. How many of you had a chance to share the gospel this week? By the way, you didn't ask that. Okay. Quite a few. Probably ten people. You know, I was thinking about this week. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, I know I share with people that they need Christ, and I know they share that Christ died on the cross for their sins. But do we share with people that Christ died on the cross and then he rose again? Because evidently, according to Paul, that's part of the gospel. That's the first thing I want us to see here. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a powerful piece of the gospel. And when we share with people, we need to be talking about not only the death, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Paul then goes into the implications of the fact if the resurrection is not for real, if it hasn't happened. And this is what he says. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. 
But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we've hoped in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So here's the focus. Verses 16 and 17. He says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Paul is saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you are wasting your time. In fact, you're to be more pitied than most men that are alive. And so we see here that the, the resurrection is so critical to what we believe. And Jesus said, Jesus said, in John chapter 2, it says, Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? So, Jesus is going around. He says, You believe in me? You will never die. I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, he will live. Jesus said, you trust in me, I will forgive. I have the authority to give sins. And the Pharisees ask a very legitimate question. What gives you the right to make these claims? Show us some kind of a sign to prove that you have the authority to do all this stuff that you are saying that you're going to do. And here it is. Jesus answered them. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus said, this is a sign. I will die and I will rise from the dead. That will be the apologetic for everything I said. That will be the hinge point. That will be the, the key event that will demonstrate that I am who I say I am. That I have the power to forgive sin. That I have the power to save. And so it's not just that Christ died for you, it's also that he rose for you. And he rose for me. And so we see the resurrection here is that sign upon which everything hinges. And so here are the implications of no resurrection. If you want to write them down, here's what they are. Paul goes through this text, he says, If Christ wasn't raised, then our preaching is a waste of time. That means I spent all this time this week and I'm up here wasting my breath this morning. That's what it means. That means your faith is a waste of time. It means we are all false witnesses. We're going around telling people that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If, if he has not been, then we are false witnesses. And then we are still in our sins. You know, wouldn't it reason that if Jesus said, you know what, I have the power to forgive sins and I'll prove that by being raised from the dead? If he's not raised from the dead, there's no validity in anything else that he said. Those who are, have already died are lost. Pete mentioned the joy of looking forward to those that have died. That's all a joke. You will never see them again. Christ has not been raised from the dead. And Paul concludes by saying, we're, we're the biggest losers in all of life if Christ has not been raised. But, 
And this is the declarative sentence here, the verse in the whole text. But, Paul declares, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he declares that great truth. So then in, in verses 35 to 44, very interesting. There are people are saying, okay, Paul, if people are going to be raised, then, I mean, I mean what, what's this body going to, what's this body going to be like? And so this is his description. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So he, he's, he's going here to the, he's looking at the, an illustration from agriculture. He starts with there. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a weed or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined. Each kind of a seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. There are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon, another. Stars, another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body that you put in the ground, Paul says, there will be a spiritual body which God raises up. So we see here that Paul is talking. He's talking to those who are questioning, you know, what, what's this body going to, I mean, what's this going to be like? I mean, it sounds really strange. And so Paul says, look, that's really foolish thinking. I mean, if I, if I were to show you a, a bulb from one of these Easter lilies, and I would show you this bulb, and you'd never seen an Easter lily, Paul's saying it's really foolish to try and look at this ugly little shriveled seed and imagine what's actually going to come up. So, so we can try to imagine what new bodies will look like, but what, what Paul is saying here is that it's about as hard as looking at a seed and seeing what that will actually be like when it comes. But he does tell us a few things here about this body. He says, we all know that animals have one kind of body, fish have another, birds have another. You know, fish live under the water. There's nobody here today with gills, right? <clears throat> we are not intended, God did not design us to live under the water. We have to put on a lot of strange gear to be able to go underwater and then just for a short time. Our bodies are not designed that way. Birds have bodies so they can fly in the air. The fish can't fly in the air. People can't fly in the air. But, but birds can because God has designed them with bodies in such a way. So Paul says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. He says, your body that is being sown is perishable. Your body's perishing. I, I don't know if you know that, but it's perishing. All of our bodies here that we live in are perishing. Your body is dishonoring. It will dishonor you. When you get older, your skin will wrinkle. Your hair will fall out. It'll quit growing in your head and start growing out your ears. And I'm not, 
That's the truth. And you're, you will understand. There are people in this room who one day you will not even know your children's names because your mind will start to go. And our bodies dishonor us. They're sown in dishonor. The body that is sown is weak. It is, it is ridden with disease and sickness. Our bodies are natural. Our bodies are just flesh and blood. So we see here this truth. And what, what Paul is saying here is you need to understand that as a believer, your life is like a seed. And within you, God has created, he has put this power that your body is going to go in the ground and it will be raised one day into something magnificent. Where does that power come from? It comes from God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. Paul here is praying. And he's praying for the believers in Ephesus and he's praying for all believers that we would understand that God would give us this revelation of this truth. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know the hope to which he's called you. And, listen to this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. If you believe, he's talking about an incomparably great power in your life. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Now he's going to describe what this power is like. It's the same power which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So some of you are, are walking around saying, you know, as a Christian, I, I just don't feel like I have any, I don't feel like I have God's power in my life. Well, for most of us, it's because we're asking for a lot of stuff that we don't really need, that God's probably not going to give us, and so we feel powerless. But Paul's saying here, if you're a believer, you have incredible power manifesting itself in your life. And one day, you will die and your body will be completely helpless. But you know what? You have a power of God in you that will raise your body, that will resurrect your body into new life. You know what the word resurrect means? Resurrect means to stand up out of. God has given you the power that you will stand up out of the grave. And that's a power that is given to every believer. If you are a believer here today, you have that power that God has given you. And your body will be raised imperishable. It will be an honoring body. It will be a powerful body. And it will be a spiritual body. And so this is going to be something brand new. This is going to be something completely different than the seed that went into the ground. It just keeps getting better. Verse 45 so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so are those of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So let me read that last verse once again. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, who was Adam, who sinned, whose body began to decay and perishing and dishonoring and weak, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Who is that? 
Jesus Christ. This is an amazing truth. What he's saying is we were born in the likeness of fallen Adam under the curse, our bodies dead to God. We have these diseased bodies that are wrapped with pain and frustration. But our new bodies will not be like that from Adam. What he is saying here is that those who have died and come alive in Christ will be transformed into a body not similar to, not kind of like, they will be like that of Jesus Christ. So the body that will be resurrected will be the same. It will be as of the same essence of the resurrection of body of Jesus Christ himself. And it will be in no way inferior to the body of Christ. These perishing, dishonoring, weak bodies will become immortal, imperishable, everything that God has created them to be. And then the saying will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the funeral the other day for Christie's mother, a couple of the grandchildren shared. And one of them shared, and I, I remember what she said. She said it so well. She said, I believe Jesus is real and God is real. And heaven is real and hell is real. And our lives are really short. In fact, the Bible says they're like a breath. But with that breath, with that breath, we get to decide where we're going to spend eternity. And there comes a day for all of us there comes a day when the only thing that matters, the only thing that will matter one day in your life is, do you have resurrection power over the grave and over death? I mean, everything else you're going to leave behind. The resurrection of Christ gives you the opportunity for everything to change. Like Jesus said, the most amazing words, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Even though he dies, yet shall he live. And then he said, he restates it and he says, you know, whoever believes in me will never die. And the, the New Testament scriptures help us comprehend that by in most places when they're referring to believers, they don't talk about them dying, they talk about them sleeping. You notice in the text here, he talks about those, our loved ones who have what? Fallen asleep. And so Jesus asks the question to the funeral he came to in his day. And, and that was, he said, I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? That's the most important question you can answer today. Do you believe this? Well, let me conclude here with some implications. I'm just going to, Walk through here in these last 10, 15 minutes, five implications. Number one, everything Jesus claimed is validated through the resurrection. Everything he claimed. 
It talks about forgiveness of all sin, that we could become children of God, that, that we could overcome death, that we could reign in this new kingdom that he was coming. It's all validated through his resurrection from the dead. During the French Revolution, there was a gentleman who, who, was not, uh, who did not like Christianity and so proposed a different form of religion. And so he was propagating it among the people, and they weren't buying it. They weren't getting into it. And so he came to the prime minister of the time, who was, who was under Napoleon, and he, said, he started complaining to him, and he said, the people, they just aren't accepting this, this new religion I'm offering. It's superior to Christianity. The prime minister thought for a moment. He said, well, there's one more thing you should do. He said, why don't you get yourself crucified and three days later rise from the dead? <laughs> there's only one man, there's only one religion that makes that claim. And it's the Christian faith. Without it, Christ is a fraud. Paul says your faith is useless. We have no guarantees that anything that Jesus said can be substantiated. The first thing the resurrection does, it validates all of the claims of Christ. It validates our faith. Here's the second thing. The second implication of the resurrection is that we know that we are justified. We know that we're forgiven. You see, Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. Jesus actually was... The Bible says Jesus set aside his power and he set aside all of this and he, he lived in complete submission and dependency upon his Father. That included his death. And so the Father looks down and makes a decision. Did Jesus... You know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said, it's finished. Was it really finished? Did, did he really complete the job? Had he really fully died for your sin? Well, the validation that he did was that whether he was raised up from the grave, if Jesus Christ had not died for your sin, then the Father would have not raised him from the dead. And so we see here that when the Bible says that he was raised for our justification, it is a clear sign that God has, Jesus Christ, satisfied the payment for your sin on that cross, that it was completed, and that God raised him up again. Here's the third implication. The third implication is that you serve a risen Savior. Today, you serve a risen Savior. You, you are praying, when you pray, you, you are praying to someone who's real, who's alive who's listening, who's, who's watching, who's working on your behalf. You trust in a, a living Lord. He's Lord over all. You, you trust in someone who's, who's alive. You, you have an intercessor right now. You're sitting here. Do you know that he's interceding on your behalf before the Father? Maybe you had a really bad week. He's been interceding for you all week. That's the kind of Savior that we serve. He is a risen Savior. This isn't just, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't teaching, just teachings or lifestyle or getting together with a group of people. This is, this is being in relationship with a living Christ who rose from the dead. This is about anticipating 
the return. This is about understanding that the last prayer Jesus prayed, you should know this, the last prayer that Jesus prayed to his Father was a longing prayer where he's, you ever have something you just really long for and desire? Do you know what Jesus' last prayer was? He said, God, I can't wait. Just, I long for the moment when my people can be with me and see me in all my glory. You have a God who is anticipating, who can't wait for you to see him and see him as he is in all his fullness and all his glory. And, and that whole experience, we serve a risen Savior. Here's number four. You will never die. Now, you might say, well, I thought, you said, we're all dying. The Bible says it's a point under man wants to die and then comes judgment. Well, our bodies die, but you're not, you know, you are not your body. Your body's a part of you, but you are, you are a living soul. And so the scripture says, that's why when Jesus showed up at that funeral, by the way, uh, you know, D.L. Moody, when he had his first funeral message, he went to the Gospels to find uh, a message he could use because he thought he could learn from Christ. Guess what? He, he couldn't find a funeral message because there were no funerals. Jesus, whenever Jesus attended the funeral, he interrupted it. Isn't that true? He, he raised people to life. He brought life. So he comes to Bethany, you know, one of the most familiar. This guy's been dead three days, you know. Instead of, instead of having the uh, after the service, uh, you know, after the service remembrance, the meal, Lazarus is at the head of the line. He's, he's alive. And he raises him up. And it was in that place that Jesus said, you know, you believe, I'm the resurrection of life. Even though you die, yet shall you live. And then he restates it. In fact, he who believes in me will never die. There was a young boy who was, who was dying and he had a terminal disease. He'd gone home to be with his family. Every night he'd go out on the couch and he would watch his favorite uh, old familiar kid shows and he'd fall asleep and his dad would pick him up take him into his bedroom and put him in his bed and he'd wake up there in the morning. The son asked his dad, he said, Dad, what's, what's it going to be like when I die? That's a tough question. When you're a father, you have a son that's dying. His father thought about it and, and the Lord, he just felt like the Lord gave him this. He said, son, he said, one night, he said, I'm not going to pick you up, but one night you're going to fall asleep and, and Jesus is going to come and he's going to pick you up. He's going to take you. He's going to put you in a room that he's been preparing for you. And that's where you'll wake up. I thought, what a, what a beautiful description of the hope of every believer. Well, here's the final thing. The last implication is you will have a new resurrection body and it will be amazing. You will have a new resurrection body and it will be amazing. Most of us know who Johnny Erickson is, paraplegic. She wrote this. Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand 
When you contrast the atrophied, useless legs against the splendorous, resurrected legs, I am convinced that in heaven the image I will see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better, brighter Johnny. The new body that you get will be designed to live in the new heaven, in the new earth, and it will be designed to live perfectly in that environment. I had a guy, an insurance guy, out to my house this week. He's talking about what would happen if my house burned down, um, which, which it could. But that could happen to any of us. And you know, if I have kind of a unique looking house, and if the house burned down, I would have a choice. I could, I could build it like the old, you know, so it would look like the old one. But if I did that, I would use all new materials. My house was built in the late 60s, so I would use all different materials, uh, better materials, updated materials. And when God resurrects a body, we, we know from some of the things we see in Scripture that that. You know, your body, you're going to be recognizable. It's going to be like the same house, but it's going to be all new materials. All new materials. And, and I, I also believe, and this is just what I believe, but I also believe that your personality is going to be, in some ways, connected with what it is now. So, my wife is still going to be a woo person, Okay? She'll just be wooing it up more than she does now. I'm going to be a more thoughtful person. And I think what's going to happen in the resurrection is that those personalities that God gave us, they will be unhindered. They will be, you know, the scars and the wounds in our lives and the fears and everything that keeps us from being that person that God created us to be. I think you will see your personality in its fullness, in absolute perfection just how it would look as God designed it to look from the very beginning. And we will have bodies that will be imperishable, completely honorable, powerful and strong, designed no longer after the fallen Adam, but after Jesus Christ. Paul gives us these words in Philippians chapter 3, verse I'm going to start verse 7, but these are verses, you'll see verses 10 and 11 up. Paul writes, For whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And then here's Paul's desire. Two things. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what Paul wants in his life. I want to know Christ. I want to fully know Christ and I want the power of the resurrection in my life. What a great prayer. And you know, one day for every believer, that is what will happen. In 1 Thessalonians, it says that the Lord will come. He will descend from heaven with a 
He says, with a loud command. And it doesn't tell us what he's going to say. But it's going to be a loud command. And you're not going to, you don't need to read about it on the news. The Bible says, every eye shall see him. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's going to come. And I don't know what he's going to say. I heard one commentator, and, and, I, and I like this. So I think, he said, I think when, when that loud command, the Lord's going to come and he's going to say, Enough! Enough. Enough war, enough depression, enough brokenness, enough pain, enough sorrow. Enough. And in that moment, we will bow, we will confess him as Lord, and you know what? All will know that God is real, and Jesus is real, and heaven is real, and hell is real. And we will know that we had one breath on this earth to make that decision. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the most important question any of us can answer. Let's pray together. Father, <clears throat> there's two people I'd like to pray for this morning as we conclude. I'd like to pray for anyone here that has been sitting listening to this message and who has perhaps realized, maybe for the first time, that you are inviting us into a personal, real, living relationship with you, the God of the universe through Christ. Maybe for some, their, their faith has just been a certain way to live or, or certain things to know or just being a part and a of, of a group of people that, that go to church. But Father, for anyone that you have revealed today that there is an opportunity today by faith to have a righteousness not of our own, but which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And that through that, the resurrection power of God will manifest itself in our life, not only changing us here and now, but dramatically changing us for the new heaven and the new earth which you're preparing for your people. Father, for any of those here today, I pray that in this service, <clears throat> they might just respond in faith and enter into this living relationship with you, Lord, our, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, the other group of people I want to pray for is for all of us who believe. Father, that that we would remember that the gospel is not just about your death on that cross, but it was about the fact that you died and you rose again. And because you live, you are the first fruits among many. That many is us today. Father, as we wake up tomorrow morning and as we wake up every day of our lives, may it be on our minds each and every day that we have the resurrection power of Christ at work in us. That no matter what happens in our day, no matter what the diagnosis, no matter what the day brings, Father, that you will raise us up and that you will get us to that place that you promised and that we will reign with you forever and ever and ever. Father, that is the hope of this day. We praise you in, in Jesus' name. Amen.